Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? So good. Yeah. So good. So good. Are you, are you at uh, home base? No. Well, what do you mean by home base? Mm, what do you mean by home base? <laughs> well, two ways to think about a home base. Uh, I, don't like to, I don't like to talk about being out of the house when I'm out of the house. So I can understand if you want to make something up. Two kinds of people in this world, Merlin. <laughs> no, in fact, I am back in my office. Wow, you got the internet? I got the internet in the office. That's such a good, you know, if you're going to do work on the internet, it's nice to have the internet. It really is. And the person that came and finally fixed my problem for me said that my CFIT authenticators had been uh, mislabeled as uh, RFQI uh, defibrillators. Oh, you know, that's one of those things like a corrupted font. It's the last place you look. That's right. That's right. Did you check your fonts, uh, John? He checked my fonts. He uh, reverse image searched a lot of the uh, the key key cues. Oh, he probably had to reverse the polarity at least a couple of times. Were you getting any kind of depletion in your deuterium? Uh, my deuterium was let me let me just say it was <laughs> it's pretty normal uh, for a man of your age. It was there was a team of SAS commandos oh. that parachuted in to destroy my deuterium factory. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they they almost succeeded, oh. but then the then the the bombs didn't work. the The back door was had an extra padlock on it. Oh, right. And now look at me. You got to be careful of your back door. That's how a lot of people uh, make intrusions. Well, I'll say. You got to check your six if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I do exactly. I was without internet here for months, <sighs> and I asked them <clears throat> to refund my money. I, demand, was the, uh, was I, I the, demanded satisfaction. Was the ARFID uh, polarity problem something that they recognized as their issue? Yes. <sighs> Interesting. So who's the crazy one now? That's right. Who's the crazy one now? That's right. It was some kind of thing where they were, uh, they were I think they were probably cleaning house, let's say. And they renamed things. They went down and things that things that had no name... Uh, the girl who had no name, mm. the man without a face. Okay. Uh, the eyes without a face. All kind of holy water into wine. Somebody said. <laughs> so, somebody higher up said we need to clean up all this. Uh, this you know this hijamarol. Hijamarol. And uh, they went in, and I don't know. They didn't. They didn't recognize what it was. They named it something that it wasn't, and then they couldn't find it. And this is this is not. If I understand what you're saying, this is this is a kind of error that that people make that I have made a lot, where you think, oh, you know, I just need to reset everything, or I just need yeah. to do this one thing, and you don't realize you haven't really thought it through. You know, an example might be okay. Like, uh, uh, like I need to really redo the whole area near our TV because it's turned into a rat king. So you mm-hmm. just start unplugging everything, and then you're mm-hmm. like, oh, like I don't know what goes with what. Yeah, where did the, where? How, why is there one washer left over? Oh, it's a horrible feeling. I saw an example. Somebody, um, somebody posted an example. I guess the the people who do Trivial Pursuit decided that they needed to clarify that KM means kilometer. Oh. And so they did. This is this is a great. This is the kind of thing that makes keeps John Syracuse up at night. Uh-huh. They apparently they appear to have gone in and done a universal search and replace for the string KM. 
And so uh-huh. now Hugh Jackman is in Trivial Pursuit as Hugh Jack Kilometer Man. (laughs) 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 I love that. That's kind of a visual joke. You need to type it to really appreciate it. Yeah. Out here in uh, Washington, KM, we all recognize it as as the Kenmerth brand. Really? But KMFDM is a drug against war? KMFDM, I think, was uh, The Art of Noise. Oh, don't, don't, don't. Who is that? Who did the Donk Donk song? That's Trio. Is that Trio? No, they did Da Da Da. Triage. Triage. Who am I thinking of? <laughs> did you know Father Mulcahy passed? I did. That's, that made me sad. I did. It did. And it did. I did. I did. did 2016 it. just keeps taking from us, John. Yeah, even still. <laughs> even still. Even still. Manson's I, uh, feeling better, so. Yeah, I'm not really concerned about him. Really? Interesting. Uh, for a long time there in the mid-2000s, I mean, it's not that I won't talk about Charles Manson. I just no. don't care whether he lives or dies. Okay. That's a good distinction. Uh, uh, for a long time in the mid-2000s, I don't know if you remember, but <clears throat> Radar O'Reilly. Do you remember the, the, the little hat that Radio, Radar O'Reilly wore? You're the one who taught me that that is not a freestanding hat. Right. That's that. That hat is an accessory to a helmet. Uh, it's a yeah, a helmet liner. I didn't know that. For, for cold weather. But you put that in like your. It's a tank helmet liner, right? Tank helmet, right? And Ra- radar had it, and then I, I don't. I, maybe this wasn't true where you lived because you lived down in different climes. But in the in the in Alaska, that was a hat that you wore if basically if your dad worked in a tank. You know, like that oh. wasn't a hat. That was a hat that communicated a certain kind of like, well, communicated exactly the thing that Radar, Radar O'Reilly was. Uh, you notice huh. that no no one else on the cast of MASH ever wore that particular hat. The Radar, what I, what I would like to describe as the Radar O'Reilly hat. And so you would see them in Alaska on people, but it always was sort of, it always said the same thing, you know, like I work in a tank. Interesting. If you, if you were to wear that and not be in a tank, does that count as stolen valor? A little bit. It yeah. felt, I mean, not that radar couldn't wear it because Mm-mm. radar, he probably, served. He served and also probably like some tank guy threw it to him and said like, like a uh, mean Joe green throwing him his, uh, his Jersey. There's probably a two part 1981, uh, series where everybody cries a lot about how radar got that hat. Yeah, I bet you're right. Some kind of big flashback. <laughs> um, written by Alan Alda, directed oh, by Alan Alda. Uh, so oh. in the mid-2000s, when all of a sudden that became the fashionable hat, I've talked about this before, it made me very upset. I did not like that hat on people. I didn't like it on indie rockers. And there was a particular kind of indie rocker that wore it that was like decidedly not someone who had worked in a tank Oh. But someone who was maybe still wearing, like, not still, but, like, was wearing bell-bottoms, but not hippie bell-bottoms. I'm seeing it. I don't know why. I can't tell you why. But I see it as an everything-but-the-girl guy hat. Okay. You know the everything-but-the-girl right. guy? I do know the He's the guy who got real sick guy. and skinny. Remember, didn't he have some weird disease? I think he would wear a hat like that. I, I could be misremembering. Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I'm going to say it was, well, the most egregious example of it, the one that really upset me, was I was at Bonnaroo one year, and Ben Folds hmm. was wearing it. And I was like, Ben Folds, come on. What's, he, what's is, he repping with that? This is not your hat, my friend. Hmm. Why are you wearing? Why? Because there are a lot of. I mean, it's not like a. It's not a skate rat hat. Mm. It's more of um, 
like I got these beads in Guatemala hat, except within the indie rock context. Anyway, I thought that plague was gone. I thought that it had been eradicated. But the last two days, well, ever since I found out, more than two days, ever since I found out Father Mulcahy died, I've been seeing those hats everywhere. And I don't think they're in tribute. I think it's some kind of... I think it's something weird. You think it's real, though? You think it's not an availability heuristic? You think it's really there? You're seeing more Raider O'Reilly hats. Uh, well, I, don't, I can't tell whether it's when you buy a Volkswagen, do you suddenly see Volkswagen? Honk, honk. Or is it there really are suddenly more of these back? Are, you know, are millennials, like, discovering them again, even though they're only 10 years old? Right. Or Mesh is, is, it... Mesh is fairly, fairly hard to stream, I think. Yeah. So they, might, they, they probably don't know it exists. And they definitely would not put the asterisks in the name. No, no, no. Matt. At. Yeah, it would confuse the database too. <laughs> I, that's another thing. When I when I was naming my band, after after about two years of the internet, my mom came to me sometime or at one at one point, and she said, "If you ever have another band and decide to name it something, consult with me first. And I said, "What are you talking about?" And she oh. said, "Well, I want you to have a band name that's Googleable." Because she apparently spent a lot of time looking at, um, like, Laura Ingalls Wilder posts. Oh, right. But it's... Hey, I, do, could, I do remember that tale. The tale of the Wilder's estate uh, approaching you to get your, uh, as Colonel Potter, Potter would say, get your official okie-dokie mm-hmm. on uh, using that name. What, uh, uh, Is this going to be a MASH-themed episode by any chance? Which, which Colonel... Do, do you prefer Colonel Potter or Colonel Blake? That's a really good question. Do you want to finish your anecdote? Well, did I, was I in the middle of an anecdote? <clears throat> I, I think that was some of McLean Stevenson's best work. Now, what's going to surprise you? I think McLean Stevenson was on there for, I think, a total of two seasons, maybe. Isn't that crazy? It feels like it was about, it's, it was sort of like, like with Frank Burns. Well, I mean, Trapper, Trapper. I mean, Frank well, was there a little bit longer. Well, right? Trapper and Henry left, I think, at the same time. Season two. Season two, so the story I remember reading in Dynamite Magazine, I remember the specific phrase, was that Wayne Rogers was sick of, quote-unquote, being second banana uh, to Alan Alda. He wanted to be the first banana. banana. What the, why was he, why was he second banana? That's what he's saying. Right. And can you imagine how bummed he was? Like, can you even imagine when they did the Trapper John MD medical drama? Mm-mm. Hey, how many hey, bananas? Hey, who's going to call Wayne? No, sorry, Pernell Roberts. <laughs> Not interested, <laughs> Wayne. Which banana was he then? He was <laughs> the last banana. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I gotta say, there's something special about the first couple seasons of MASH. Because it yeah. it's more anarchic, it's way less preachy. I mean, yeah. you know, it got, toward the end, it got really bad. And everybody was, we don't, um, even need to, we don't need to cover the end. Well, I mean, do people know this, John? Do they, do they know that, like, after about 1979, like, the entire Korean police action was, I think, two years in length? <laughs> yeah. And that show was on TV for, a, I think, about ten? 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. Yeah, yeah. But, I but mean, it was always a metaphor for Vietnam. Yeah, like a Romana Clay. It was like an international Romana Clay. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I really liked Colonel Potter, and I loved his... Re- well, I loved everybody's relationship with Radar. But um, Colonel Potter was, uh, was sweet. But, you know, like any of these things, you've got to ru- sand off everybody's edges. Like the whole point of Hot Lips in the movie and in the early seasons was that she was insufferable. But you can't ma- leave somebody insufferable for ten seasons. You've got to right. make them a little lovable. Right. You know, you've got to bring in a Donald Penobscot. You've got to have a Penobscot. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I forget to pay the electric bill, but I remember the name of Hot Lips' fiance. <laughs> will you? Will you put? Uh, gotta have a Penobscot up on the big board. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> what? He's coming down here. He's gonna see the big board. <laughs> hey, that's good. Oh, thank you, gentlemen. There's no fighting in the war room. <clears throat> um, let me let me just say, yeah. I think that. Uh, my sense of MASH and its legacy is that the last seasons colored it completely for so many people Oh yeah, uh, that it became, you know, I hear people talk about it like people talk about the Eagles, like there was nothing redeemable about MASH. And I'm like, listen, man, I watched all 10 seasons of that show. It only became awful. I mean, it trended awful for a while. But well, was... I mean, it's the the problem is like after so you, you get into like after um, Burns left and they bring in Winchester, mm-hmm. which was a little bit of a record scratch because part mm-hmm. of what made Larry Linville's killer, I know the names, <laughs> part of what made Frank Burns so interesting was that he was actually not a good surgeon. It was interesting. My friend, my friend, uh, John Patton and I used to debate this all the time. Like, is Winchester a good character? Because, you know, he's very dignified. They could take the piss out of him a lot, but he was a very good surgeon. Good surgeon. I think I'm going to say up until 76, 77, 78, you know, I think they were running out of brand new ideas. So they had to like keep bringing back, uh, Hawkeye writes a letter to his dad. They had to bring in the like, oh, let's, let's act like everybody's being interviewed for, uh, for a documentary. Or like orphan Korean boy who ends up being a, just a, an irrepressible scamp. Gets adopted by the... They teach him how to run the still. That's right. What's his name? Not Hop Singh. What's his name? It's, uh, 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 you know what? I'm not going to work ping pong. Yeah, it was something, it was something a little, that we would consider But But let's be honest. You know what? We should not, let, let, let's consider, let's consider the last few seasons. For the purposes of our program, it's non-canonical. We'll just, we'll just kind of leave it out for now. Agreed. And I, you know, and I liked, uh, Charles Winchester III, Mm -hmm. uh, but, um, but you're absolutely right. And I think probably making him a good surgeon, uh, eliminated for them the very difficult, uh, ongoing, difficult problem of the idea that that there was someone on the cast that was patching up American servicemen badly. Right? Oh, like, interesting. Like that's a hard thing over time. To it's to, one. Th- it's one thing to have an arch remark about kind of secondhand remark about Vietnam, and it's another thing to say that our boys aren't getting good service. Yeah, right. And and as as Alan Alda, or as the as this as the writing got more histrionic, um, it, it's hard to take as uh, as like slapstick the fact that Frank Burns is doing a poor job. Right. He's got the Dunning-Kruger problem. Now, what did you think of Colonel Flagg? Well, you know... I, I love Colonel Flagg. Colonel I, I look Flagg. forward to his... Him and uh, and uh, and uh, Alan Arbus. What was his character? Dr. Uh, Sigmund uh, yeah. Seamus? Sigmund Seamus. What was his name? Sigmund the Sea Monster. Sigmund Seamus. Whenever... 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 A special episode? Those were very special episodes. We're not even getting to the chicken. We're not going to spoil it for you. <laughs> the uh, uh, Captain Flag, 
is absolutely right out of Doctor Strangelove. Oh, right? absolutely. I mean, that's a broad character that's meant to, in the pre-CIA days, like pre-Sage, like what we were learning about the CIA at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's there to protect us against uh, having our precious bodily fluids sapped. <laughs> didn't, he, didn't he break his own arm at one point? <laughs> oh, no, you know who he is? G. Gordon Liddy. Oh, he's Liddy. You're he's right. L- you know what? You get a ding for Liddy. Thank you. Yes, yes. And that actor was so good. He was so committed. I was I was explaining Watergate the other day. <laughs> oh God, who's the lucky recipient? Please tell me it's your daughter. <laughs> no, no, she she's been asking some very interesting questions lately, but she has not yet gotten to the. Daddy, can you explain Watergate <laughs> to me? And boy, I, I'm going to treasure that who moment. Was Daniel Ellsberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one day she will say. Um. Will you, will you explain the Pentagon Papers to I me? And I hearing, will. I keep hearing about the Saturday Night Massacre. Who was yeah. Bork? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, it was, uh, it was my millennial girlfriend. She mm-hmm. wanted to know more about Watergate. And uh, so I gave, you know, I gave <laughs> yourself a sandwich and sit down. <laughs> I gave a very tight 20 minutes <laughs> okay. on it. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, and I realized... Like Watergate, the the like formative moment for for our entire generation and the generation that preceded us, the thing that the the crime that gave its name to a thousand crimes, now just seems like just in the last. It's so hilarious. Just in the last six months, now seems like comically innocent, mm-hmm. and uh, and so. Yeah, it was pretty enjoyable to go over. And but it's also, like, it was in retrospect, it's so dumb because they were totally going to win the election. Oh no, it's dumber than that, Merlin. They had won the election. Nixon was already reelected. But like, so this is seventy three, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I haven't I haven't boned up on Watergate in a while, but well, well you want my <laughs> hot twenty minutes? <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> No, uh, no. It's a matter of like. Here's the thing: you don't hire a shark to be. Here's the thing. This yeah. is the doc. This is my Doctor Philism. You don't hire a shark to be your babysitter, because that's not what a shark is good at, and it can't take a kid to the park. Right. The, the the thing is, this organization that they had put together was so fucking weird and paranoid, and so hungry for bizarre behavior that something like this had to happen. And then once it had to happen, then they had to cover it up. And then they had to have all this other shit come out about all the even weirder stuff that had been going on. It's just right. that this particular shark had to kill. There was nothing. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Sharks have to kill, Merlin. They do. Otherwise, they, they can't swim backwards. Yeah. Uh, no, do you know they, what I'm saying? Like this had, something, something this dumb had to happen. Not because of Nixon, but because of the sick synergy of the people that he needed around him. And those mm-hmm. that, that, that malignant combination of all of those terrible, broken personalities made six something synergy. like this. Six Synergy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like Six Sigma. It's, uh, six yeah. Synergy was uh, one of my favorite baseball managers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go Cubbies. Uh, that was not a ring for me. That was a ring for, for the, the room. Oh, that was, that was a ring for the table. That's like a pepperoni. Yeah, okay. Pepperoni ring bell. I, uh, listen. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about time travel. Okay. I feel like, uh, do you follow, uh, you, you're not on Twitter anymore, are you? Um, you know, I'm, I'm adjacent. It's gotten so hard there. It's but gotten there, pretty rough. There is a character, there is a person who inhabits the character of Richard Nixon 
on Twitter and just does it very successfully. So yeah. much so that I feel like I know Nixon in a new way. And I really look forward to his posts. He comments on contemporary affairs. Because Nixon, Nixon was kind of like Steve Jobs. Where, like, you know, it's like, ugh, fucking amateur hour. Look what these guys are doing, right? That, that's yeah. a lot of what the, that Nixon persona does, isn't yeah. it? Isn't a lot exactly. of, like, ugh, I can't believe this like, bullshit. Yeah. Are, you, are you serious right now? Are you kidding me right now? And, and most of it is... And this is your idea of corruption? <laughs> <laughs> but it makes me, yeah, it makes me miss simpler times. Yeah, me too. And then we got Gerald Ford. Yeah, and then this guy over here. Yeah, no soup. <laughs> I had a very scarring experience. Um, did I, ever tell you, I, told, I, I told you I wrote a letter to Gerald Ford. I told you that story, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, I think we're pretty much out of stories at this point. You want to talk about MASH? Who, you and me? Yeah. No. No. There's so many good stories so yet many to tell. New things. We should talk about parenting. People love I that. <laughs> I don't even, you know, there's so many things I don't know about you, Marlon. Oh, good. What what was your favorite year of high school? You got four. To my favorite from. year of high school was my freshman year of college. Oh. Uh, uh, boy, that's uh, a Merlin answer. I think the I most like interesting and significant one, the one that I romanticized the most, is tenth grade mm-hmm. <clears throat> because that was a really important year where it had a lot of firsts, and it was a year that, in my memory, was filled with so much well, so much sadness, and mm. but also so much. Uh, contradictory stuff. A lot of the, a lot of the, like the forces that led up to tenth grade. There's tenth grade, and there's what happened after tenth grade. And tenth grade was, as you say, a crucible. That's that's where a lot of the story got cooked out. But it was super fucking interesting. The stuff that I was incredibly into in tenth grade were were, were disparate and contradictory in a way that uh, is kind of amazing to me now. Mm-hmm. So is that, that is was, that when you joined the Society for Creative Creative Anachronism? No, it's a year <laughs> into playing D anD D. But uh, no, but it was it was um, you know it's funny because my kid's nine and she's growing up real fast and there's just there's a million things that I, I talk about I talk with other you know like my friend uh, John Syracuse has a daughter about the same age Dan has a son about the same age and it's really weird when you think and this is not going to be about parenting but it, but it is really weird how each kid has a handful of things where they might as well be 60 and then a handful of things where they might as well be two. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I suspect that changes just by degree over time. Um, and so, but 10th grade for me was a big year for that where like there were so many ways in which I was closer to being in sixth grade than I was to being in 11th grade. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I was still, I really was still very much a kid and still trying to, struggling to just figure shit out. So, you know, for me, I'm going to go with 10th grade because I was really into The Who and Ozzy. Uh, I still liked, uh, I was kind of getting over Rush. I was still mad at Rush about subdivisions. But I liked a weird mix of music and culture, and I was still very pliable. So mm-hmm. that, was, that was, you know, that was the last interesting year of me being fucked up. That's not true. But anyway, yeah, I'm going to go 10th grade. How about you? What's your favorite year of high school? Uh, 11th. 11th grade. 10th grade was maybe my, well, let's see. It's hard to pick a worst year of high school. But, but 10th was, I, I mean, exactly as you're saying. What, when's your birthday? Uh, I should, late I November. Should I should know this. Uh, so when you, so you were always I one went, of okay, the so older kids in yeah, class. I was always old, yeah. Right. So I was always young. And so it probably, we're, we're probably talking about the same year of life, right? I mean, you oh, would, right. You, we would have been the same age when I was in 10th, and you, or when you were in 10th and so I was in 11th. So you were born in 1981, so... I was born in 81. 
<laughs> you, um, you're born seventy. F- 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 not four. That can't be. No, you're born sixty eight. What am I saying? Yeah, seventy four. What are you talking about? I get confused. I have a lot of friends named John. Uh, um, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I in tenth grade, I was like really unformed and f- just flailing. Um, and it was in 10th grade that I said, it was the summer after 10th grade that I, that I made my little list on my desk blotter. Oh, right. Where I was like, this cannot go on. You need to. This is when you decided to become a big man on campus. Yeah. You need to step up. <clears throat> and so 11th grade was, 11th grade was the one that was the one full of firsts for me, you know, first kiss, first moment where someone, where some peer recognized me as cool in some way, you know, like good job or what, you know, some, there was some acknowledgement, some senior, uh, said that was pretty funny, Roderick. And then, you know, spit in my milk or whatever, but still like I'd gotten, a, I was starting to, starting to come into my own and, uh, I could look at myself in the mirror. Like it wasn't, I wasn't a, a complete like human crater. <laughs> So, so 11th grade was it. And then by, by 12th grade, I had already, I had already squandered everything that I had earned in 11th. And in 12th grade, I just went, I just became an enemy of the people. Uh, but yeah, for a, for a, for a brief shining moment there in 11th grade, I had it all. I had it all. <clears throat> by all you mean, you had more than nothing. Well, there was a little, I was on a trajectory in 11th grade where, where I started off the year with a, there was still a lot of like a residual halo of loser around me. And like there was my freshman year, there was only one picture of me in the, in the yearbook. And it was a picture of me like in a black sweatshirt covered with dandruff and a, and a, like a very, very greasy bowl haircut. <laughs> dandruff sufferer, John Roderick, waits <laughs> patiently for lunch. The, yeah, the caption didn't even include my name. Oh, no. It just said, come on, it can't be that bad. <laughs> That's the only picture of me in the freshman, in my yearbook freshman oh, year. Oh, that sucks. And I, was, and I was flipping through the yearbook and it's like somehow my normal picture didn't make it in there. I wasn't in any clubs. It was just this like, it was just this picture, like, it, it, it should have said, definition, freshman. <laughs> uh, and then 10th grade, like, I was in a lot of, I was, I was involved in stuff. I was getting into it. But I was, like, you, like you're saying, still six years old. And I was the kid that, like, if, if, uh, if two juniors were sitting on the couch at lunch kissing each other, I would walk by and go, ooh, you know, just didn't understand how to play it cool. Right. But by, so junior year, when I first started, there was a little bit of like, there was quite a bit of uncool still stuck to me, but I, but I had really cleaned up my act and all of a sudden I was, uh, what was, I got elected to the student Congress. Wow. I was arts and culture editor of the school newspaper. This all happened in the, you know, the beginning of junior year. I, uh, that must have been stuff you would not have even imagined the year well, before. B- but I wrote Big Man on Campus on that desk blotter. Big Man on Campus. BMOC. BMOC. On that desk blotter. And I circled it and I was like, 
I don't even know what that means, but my dad says this all the time, uh-huh. and I'm going to figure out what it means, and it's going to be me. Uh, I had a girlfriend. That didn't happen until after New Year's. But, you know, I was like, I was talking to girls, and they were absolutely telling me to go away, but they were telling me to go away with a giggle, you know, instead of with like a look of horror. And what else? Oh, and so I was writing for the school newspaper, so people would come up to me and say, like, I really liked your article, which shocked and amazed me. And so, you know, I had a car all of a sudden. Oh, my gosh. You know, like, it seemed, and I was a member. I was a member of my little gang. There was a a gang formed, and and I was a bona fide member of it, not not a tag along. That's um, a tremendous amount of progress. Oh, it was incredible. I was like, look at me. I mean, I my hair wasn't greasy anymore. I was uh I had I had cobbled together a wardrobe of crew neck sweaters. Did and, you had you done your uh white out uh jacket yet? Oh, that see that was the the jacket uh was senior year where where I lost the plot. Oh, I see. Oh, so this year was a little bit of an outlier. Yeah, because uh, because in freshman and sophomore year, I was the guy with the two alligators humping on his jean jacket. <laughs> and in senior year, I had a, a floor-length duster trench coat with a white-out skull and crossbones on the back. <laughs> it was just junior year where I was not, I wasn't like fucking up at all. I just had on, I had on a crew neck sweater and a button-down shirt and topsiders. <laughs> and I was writing for the school newspaper and I had a girlfriend. Like, it's, <laughs> you flew too close to the side. Yeah, it seemed like it seemed like from there, anything could happen. I could go to college. This is so great though, because there's that phrase I fucking hate, which is uh, someone. Oh, I've really arrived. I've, uh-huh. I've always really disliked that phrase. Not always, but I've come to really dislike that. <laughs> I'm always thinking like, yeah, you've arrived, but how do you know how long it'll be in, until you're asked to leave? Yeah, that's right. Could you stop arriving now? Could you go arrive somewhere else? Go, yeah, arrive. <laughs> arrive elsewhere. Arrive at the exit. Uh, yeah, by, by senior year, I was, my hair was greasy again. Oh, God. Um, You're Cinderella. It was, yeah, that's right. My, my uh, carriage turned back into a pumpkin. <laughs> but, but by senior year, because, uh, because in uh, so- sophomore year, I was still, I don't know, somewhat pubescent, right? I mean, I was not, I wasn't pretty to look at. And then senior year, I was not pubescent anymore. I was just like a gross seventeen-year-old, <laughs> grotesquery. I mean, I was. I was. It was. It was awful. I was. I mean, I'm walking. Just think about it. I'm a, I'm a member of the trench coat mafia. Yeah. I was the founder. You were the of member of the trench coat yeah. mafia. <laughs> That's right. There was nobody else in it. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I look back at junior year. The thing is, there were a couple of those. Right. My the the first year after I quit drinking. The first time I quit drinking. I got myself into the University of Washington. I <clears throat> grunge was happening all around us here in Seattle, and I went straight. And I cut my hair and I shaved off my scraggly beard. And I put on my crew neck sweaters again. And I went to the University of Washington and I was so proud of myself because that was my dad's college. And I'd gotten in. I'd gotten into the big school. 
and I, and I, and having, having already been grunge for several years, and now really cleaned up my act, mm-hmm. walking around the campus and seeing all the like <clears throat> students who were wearing grunge clothes and like practicing grunge as a lifestyle choice, yeah. I was <clears throat> very contemptuous of them because I looked like I was, I was really coming across very L.L. Bean, but, but I, you know, <clears throat> I'd been in the shit. Yeah, sure. And there was this real pull in me. Like, at that point, it was a pull, like, which way is my life going to go? Am I going to go straight? Am I going to be, am I going to be successful? Am I going to go to my uncle and ask him for a job? Am I going to be a U.S. senator? Am I going to be a, you know, a grown-up person. And I held, I held the till, you know, like the ship was going into rough waters and I was, I, I, um, I was catching the wind and I just couldn't hold it. I couldn't hold the, there wasn't anything in it that I could find that worked for me. You know, I couldn't. How, how much of it do you think the the successful God, what's that? There's this wonderful word, um, the Latin phrase. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Annus, annus mir, mir, mirabilis. Hmm. It's oh, like right, the, miracle year. Yeah, like you've had a wonderful, like a miracle. Yeah, miracle year. Um, for your uh, your particular annus, like, do you? Hmm. How much of that do you think was? Not to take anything away. How much of it do you think was dumb luck? Like, how much much of it do you think was like you successfully formulated the right potion? Or potions to have this this uh, school year academic year mostly go well. How much of you think you got lucky? I mean, because that seems like that plays into it. Uh, you might you might have just gotten dealt a flush and didn't know it. Do you mean junior year or junior uh, year? Well, junior year in particular, because junior here's the thing. Here's the one of the fucking problems in this country, in this world, if I may say, is that we instruct young people to see life as a series of arrivals that mostly get better and better. At least in the pre uh, in the area before the millenniums, like. I think that's really a thing. Like, okay, eventually you're going to be old enough. You're going to get to walk to school. When you get a little bit older, you get to go to an R-rated movie. Mm. You know, you can drive. You can, uh, you can go to college. And, you know, it's a series of arrivals. And, you know, I don't think people are, are naturally as prepared for the idea that uh, those arrivals are not a guarantee of any kind of success. It's it's an indication of not abject failure. But, like, you can expect some serious downs alongside the occasional up. Uh, for sure. And... I think what I think my junior year is much more um, a result of uh, what the, from the time that I first started going to see Jan Lindemann, my family counselor. Um, and I've told you that story where we went as a family. Uh, Who, who's, to, who's I, remind, remind me whose idea it was. Was it your mom's? Uh, uh, my mom and my dad were trying to figure out, yeah, like how how we were going to solve our family dynamic. And the four of us, my mom, my sister, my dad, and I all went to this family counselor. And after a couple of months of going, my sister, who was pretty young to be this aware, she was maybe, maybe 11, uh, somebody spoke to her in the room finally and she said i've been sitting in this family counseling for 
two or three months and no one has ever asked me a question or said a word to me. Wow. So <clears throat> obviously whatever the problem is in this family, it isn't mine and I don't want to go anymore to this. And everybody I think was embarrassed by this. Because that and, was the the elephant in the room was you. Oh, for sure. And okay. and and so and the idea being that um that our family dynamic was was a problem. Nobody believed that that included them. Right? right. Like yeah. And so then it was my mom and my dad and me going to family counseling for a while. Your dad was game for that. Oh yeah, yeah, he was a, my dad was really into psychology. Hmm. And he, my dad and my mom had in the 1950s. I mean, my dad had been seeing a a um psychiatrist like a Jungian psychiatrist in the in the 50s. Wow. My mom and my dad signed up for LSD trials. What? In 59. Oh my god. And <clears throat> didn't do them for some reason. But, you know, they were very curious about that stuff, like very exploratory. Anyway, so we're sitting in family counseling. Everybody's yelling at each other about what a problem I am. And at a certain point, my mom stood up and said, obviously, David and John have a lot to work out. And I don't, it's not a very good use of my time to be in here listening to those two bicker and argue about what is obviously their broken pro, you know, broken relationship. <clears throat> so I'm not going to come to this anymore until some progress has been made. And then there were two. And then there were two, me and my dad. My dad and I continued to go see Jan Lindemann for another couple of months. And then my dad said, hey, I can't make it. <laughs> This week, no way. I've got a big meeting in Washington D.C. I'll see you next week, and then never came again. <laughs> Was it eventually just Jan? <laughs> no, because I kept going. Okay. And so Jan, the family counselor, and I continued to see each other for three years. Did, did Jan pick up the mantle of yelling at you? No, Jan never yelled at me, uh, but Jan also was a uh, family counselor or something. Like, Jan never realized, there was never an acknowledgement that I was a teenage boy and I needed some special help. Uh, like, like, when I would say anything about a girl, like, I, you know, I love this girl or I have these, I'm sort of having this problem with this girl, Jan would change the subject. She did not want to give me relationship advice. Oh, that wasn't uh, that wasn't covered by uh, Jan's expertise. I guess not, or something. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm still confused about it. But when I was 13, 14 years old, that's all. 15, that's all I wanted to talk about. Are you kidding me? But but it always uh, deflected. We mm -hmm. didn't. That wasn't a thing we were going to we going to discuss. Um, but all of that, that whole process, really confirmed in me. The understanding that, A, everyone in my family thought I was the problem. B, Jan didn't disagree that I was the problem. And, uh, and I, had, I was already convinced I was the problem, personally. So going into 11th grade, I had this huge like shockwave right behind me of 
not just like a feeling, but also I'd been given the language to describe and had the had like the power of conviction of a whole group of people, an army marching behind me, that all agreed that I self-sabotaged, that I uh, got in the way of my own self. I intentionally took steps to impede my success. This was a this was a widely held uh, belief in my clan that all I needed to do. This is the, the, I'm, even as I say them, I, I I can put myself back in those mauve and taupe colored rooms with ferns all around us, and hear this idea promulgated that all I needed to do was just do the thing that needed to be done. I didn't need to do the other things that I did, which was examine the logic of the thing that was being asked of me. I didn't need to Hmm. make the, if somebody said, draw this in two colors, I didn't need to draw it in 14 colors to show them how much better it could be. I didn't need to, you know, I didn't need to argue with the premise. I didn't need to, I didn't need to write in the margins. I didn't need to tell the teacher that her question wasn't relevant. I did, you know, all these things. I just needed to get out of the way and just do the thing. And the thing seemed so simple to everyone else. Mm-hmm. If I could just do the simple thing, why couldn't I just do the simple thing? And I couldn't. I never could do the simple thing. I didn't. I, I was so, I mean, half the time at least, just so offended by the Yeah, just so offended by how could any of you do this? But going into 11th grade, I said, I looked at that BMOC written on the on the blotter. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what do you do? How do you how do you get to BMOC? Uh, You know, right now I'm LMOC. Uh, And what do you what's the transition? And so I got I started trying to do this thing. You know, get out of the way. Like, don't if you if you finally manage to get a shirt with a crocodile on it, don't sew another crocodile on it. Oh, that, that's just it. just leave it. That's right. That just seems like you're just antagonizing people. And you know, like you can have the crocodile and disbelieve it. You can have the crocodile and imagine another crocodile on it. Mm-hmm. Just don't, you know, just don't go that extra step. So and almost it, you need to be a better editor of your behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 it was because what did I want? <laughs> I imagine uh, you know No, 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 don't even say guarantee. It. I uh what What's I really, want what was really important to you. <laughs> Listen, I've frisked a thousand young punks. No. I what I wanted was to get kissed. Mm, yeah. I wanted to kiss. I wanted to kiss. I wanted to kiss but somebody. But didn't you also want to be? Kissed. Didn't you also want to be special? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm putting that in a fruity way. Okay, I'll, let me let me put it in a more punk rock way. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't you want to not be just another fucking drone? That was not. I I realized. I think at that point that was no longer a risk. I was never going to be. I was never going to buy it hook, line, and sinker. I was not. I, wa- I wasn't mentally or emotionally vulnerable in that way that I couldn't conform because it was not in my heart, but I could, but I could 
like start to recognize what where to make my stand right to pick my battles mm-hmm. fight the real fight don't you know don't sit and and lose like lose the bat lose the initial battle of even getting your foot in the door because you show up wearing a double knit suit that you got at the goodwill for a dollar you were you were like, getting in your own way yeah like <clears throat> like i had for for the first couple of years of high school i had this I had planted my feet somewhere on the topic of Levi's, a thing that we've discussed at length. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to wear Levi's. Levi's were trendy. And I didn't know. I was, I was dumb. I didn't know enough about anything. But at that point in time, you know, super tight Levi's that had been ironed, you know, like people were ironing their Levi's. Like I, I did not. I wasn't going to wear Levi's. I was only going to wear like army pants and stuff. And in 11th grade, I said, you know what? Whatever that was, you spent two years fighting Levi's. And what do you have to show for it? (laughs) Levi's still exist. Um, All you have to show for it is that everyone in the school is wearing Levi's except you. And no one cares. Like you haven't won anybody over to your way of of thinking. No, you haven't collected a group of like, a, a new army, all wearing army pants, and so I was like, "Levi's, fine," you know. Like I did, I did some of that. So, in answer to your question, like, w- did I have a string of good luck? I might have. That was right when I had my growth spurt. So all of a sudden, I was tall, and that couldn't have hurt. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> my sense of humor had come in the same way that your mustache comes in, although my mustache had not come in, but my sense of humor had come in. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, like right, I, I, you know, that's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I was no longer like, ha, 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 gross. Ha, ha, there's an atom bomb in your shoe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, I wasn't quoting, uh, like <laughs> stripes uh, or Mo- Monty Python, <laughs> right? Anymore, I was able to sit and and kind of like toss off little little quips that were fairly biting. And that was the uh, that that scene I recounted earlier, where a senior said that was a pretty good one. That was an actual event. A guy named um, uh, his name was John. Oh, what the fuck was his name? Uh, he was a senior to my junior, and I had always admired him. He was the he kind of had a pockmarked face. I mean, he wasn't like beautiful, but he was the real the real cut up of the great ahead of me. Mm-hmm. He was the, the Bill Murray <clears throat> mm-hmm. and Oh, I, I really wanted his approval. And one day standing in a group of people, I, uh, you know, I pulled out my, my verbal Derringer and hit somebody in the gun belt. And, uh, oh, what the fuck was his name? John, somebody uh, or other. He'll come to he, you. He, he, uh, he kind of like took a little bit of a, a little head check and was like, huh, that was pretty good, you know? And, and it, it didn't feel like a, like I'm kind of doing it in a, like a coach voice, like, Hey, nice job, kid. And then a little hand mussing the hair. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like that. It Mm -hmm. was like, huh, pretty good. And then immediately he was like, now I am going to war with you because you have just demonstrated that you are the new threat to me. And, now you're, you know, you want to, you want to play with the big dogs. So it was, it was a, it was a tense moment, but a great moment for me to have gotten his attention. And then I did, then we did go to war and eventually 
I prevailed. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Because my sense of humor came in hard uh. when it came in. Um, it all came in at once. <laughs> like a big mustache. <laughs> it did. It was just like... Whoop, whoop, whoop. And all of a sudden, I have had you guys this. seen John? <laughs> I, well, yeah, because I just I'd grown a foot in height, and you know, and I'd gone from being kind of put, picked upon and you know pushed around and like, hey, hey, John, drink this that right. type of treatment to uh, like just just really quickly, like nobody could get the better of me, at least in in the. In, like, the teenage way. Wow. Hey, John, drink this. Oh, you mean, is that your mom? <laughs> you know, like, oh. what, whatever, when you're 16 years old, like, oh, is that your mom in a cup? Ooh. And, you know, and it's just like, what yeah. do you say to that? All you do, <laughs> There's no response to something like yeah, that. All you do is hang your head and go fucking bang your head on the locker because you just got schooled. <laughs> is that your mom in a cup? Smack. <laughs> is this your first day? <laughs> is this your first day? Uh yeah, I, I had a friend tell me many years later. He was like, "You were ne- you've never been as funny as you were in eleventh grade." Oh God, that's that's horrible to hear. Yeah, but he's an idiot. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> what he meant was just that I was. I mean, because when my sense of humor came in, I was also very. I had been, I had been abused, and so I was pretty vicious. You're Carrie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You didn't ask for it, but but you showed up and you got a power. Yeah, I got a power all of a sudden, and, and now there's going to be a reordering of things. Mm-hmm. So, I no, I have never been as bad as I was in 11th grade. Being the nice teacher isn't going to save you. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Tell you what. When did your sense of humor come in? Well, it's the sense of humor, part, to, to use my own phrase now, um, <clears throat> I mean, I had a way of like blurting out lots of stuff, but I was always a terrible editor. Wait a minute. Well, I came to embrace it later. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm going to reject this line of questioning because you're laughing. Not in a good way. Uh, no, I'm laughing in the best possible way. Uh, sense of humor came. I mean, like, you know, like, okay, so like, there's, there's like, I mean, not, not to dissect this too much, but there's the like, um, you develop a personal sense of what's funny in the world. You develop the ability to say things that make people laugh as against the, the true meaning, which is like, you, you see the tragedy of life and how it plays out in ways that can be funny. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't think I got the last one. <clears throat> I may not still, still not have it, but I don't know. I got funny. The thing is, I would like to imagine in my head that I was bullied. I, I was very lightly bullied. I mean, I was bullied the way every kid was bullied. That, that's something these, these kids today don't understand, is that everybody lived in fear at a yeah, certain that's true. point. That's true. Um, mostly from emotional. Um, I mean, the teachers, everybody. Like, it was just awful. It was just awful to be a kid at a certain point. But um, I, I, I suspect, like, a lot of people who regard themselves correctly or not as funny, for me, that was a, kind of a defensive thing. And I think it the the kind of like John Roderick humor you're describing there that started probably in eighth or ninth grade because mm-hmm. the thing is it's like I remember when I first moved to San Francisco and I was uh, spending a lot of time sleeping at my friend Michael's place and I always have to park my rental car at like McAllister and um, and Fillmore which is like a very a very doing donuts shooting guns sort of mm-hmm. intersection mm-hmm. over by the Fillmore mm-hmm. I mean it's it's pretty rough i mean there mm-hmm. would be lots of gunshots in the night and and this is probably just ignorance but i would always remember thinking i would park and i would walk past lots of people that if i had any sense i'd probably be scared of but i always felt like a non-combatant 
Mm. I always mm. felt like I had a white cross on my head mm. a little bit, or that like I was like an NPC. I, I was not really in this particular game of D&D. An example mm-hmm. I'm sure they would have treasured. But I always felt like I, I was not, like, you know, if it was exactly the same person but black, I feel like I might have gotten more hassle. And I think in eighth grade, I was, I, like you maybe, I did not register very much with people. I was just just another dork. Yeah. And then ninth grade was the beginning of kind of starting to feel those oats a little bit more. And in some ways, like when you are really just an anonymous dork, I might be getting this wrong, but I think when you're just an anonymous dork, you're not really as exposed. You know, you um, if your profile goes up a little bit, that's when you get exposed and that's when you run into like more concentrated trouble from people. That's right. That's exactly right. But like I've still never been in a fight in my entire life. I don't want to start. Well, you know, I, I've I've been in a couple of fights. I've I've heard. <laughs> I've heard you made you made uh, made some of our listeners very uncomfortable a couple of years ago talking about one of these incidents. <laughs> you know, I don't like to make our listeners uncomfortable. I want to I want to, them to feel bathed. Yeah. In a in a warm chalice by you and me. It's like your favorite uncle. You look you look forward to seeing every year, and then he then he talks about Hitler for two hours. I'm I'm cupping their heads, mm. and 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 you're just pouring like uh, ointment on them. They're there. Yeah. No, but I, I never, I never, uh, and to be honest, I, um, I think, I don't think I even ever experienced that much physical friction. It was much more emotional. And yeah. a lot of it was visited upon myself. A lot of it was, there's no fucking way anybody is going to see my dick in this locker room. Boy, I'll say not. You know what I'm saying? Don't. The, the showers? No, thank you. That was one of the most, like, debilitating, I, I'm, just being straight up here. Like, shower things, down and get you, an A. You fear, like, shower down. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> shower down. All right. Uh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, but the, um, you know, in Buddhism, they call it the second arrow. There's the arrow you get shot with, and then there's the arrow you shoot into yourself. And for me, like, a lot of the things that I dreaded the most, certainly there were things like, I am about to get bullied by this guy, and I really don't want to walk by where I know he's going to be. And mm-hmm. that's a thing you think about all fucking day. Mm-hmm. But then it was also like, I am just dreading third period. I just, the entire thing of having to see the naked people, having to, like, you know... Be the naked people. Be, but it was, I was... It's just a weird thing. Like, today I could be naked anywhere. I don't care. But, like, back then, I was just, I was terrified of that. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing, I mean, I say what you will, what that says about me, but I would just think about that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, well, right. I, I, I took a D in gym rather than get in the shower. It's uh, barbaric. It's barbaric. Our showers were, like, a big, not big, I mean, they were, like, a hexagon the size of a walk-up phone booth. And there would be just, like, and, I'm, and the thing is, to be honest, I don't think this is... This is not the apparent homophobic... I hate that word. It's so abused. It's not that I was worried about being gay. It was that I was worried about having a tiny, tiny dick and no body hair. I, mm. I was worried more. I was. It was less of the obvious. Like today, the millenniums are going to hear this and go, "Oh, well, obviously you had the nascent homophobia of the mm-hmm. 1980s." Mm. No, it wasn't that. It was that I was really underdeveloped, even especially in my own eyes. I think I was probably pretty normal, but like, boy, was that ever something I did not want anybody else to see. For me, it was. I was fat. Uh, oh, you know, I was uh, eighth grade. Yeah, I had a. I had a gut. I was doughy. Mm. I, I was. I had lots of baby fat. Yeah, then that was. And, and there's and other the guys. Is, there's other guys that look like Roger Staubach. It's like this is not fair. No, no. This guy's already balding. He's got hair everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so and, not fair. And just the. I mean, I 
when I look, it's the classic thing, right? You look back at pictures of yourself and you're like, what? I looked great. What was I so worried about? I look fine. I don't look broken by life yet. Yeah, but I was, you know, I was very worried that I was chubby. It didn't even occur to me. I think, I think it didn't occur to me that penises had different sizes for a long time. Yeah. Because when someone was naked around me, I averted my eyes mm-hmm. so immediately that I had, I, you know, I'd been in locker rooms. I'd never seen a penis. You're embarrassed for every aspect of what's happening. But there's yeah. obviously some guys that are much more into it than others. Oh, yeah. Well, and I, like I, I, I don't want to be normative, but the guys, who got lot, the guys who are used to being naked and who have, like, tons of secondary hair because they've been through puberty, mm. they're walking around cock of the walk. Well, and I think that I think if you're a sports person and you're physically capable on the sports field... Yeah, you carry with you a kind of body comfortability of like yeah, and it's like I, a fucking Easter parade for you. This is this yeah. is the room you're in all the time. You understand yeah. how things work in this room, and you're you're kind of the the de facto like prime minister of nakedness. Yeah, if you if you can throw a football all the way down the field, who cares whether you have a gut or not? Yeah, um, because this is your yeah right. You're right, and they don't look scared. Whereas I I looked. I, I probably smelled scared. Yeah, you I, communicated I was, scared. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, uh, again, back to that transition into 11th grade, like, I had already, ninth grade, 10th grade, I had made my world with the nerds. Like, the <clears throat> the kids that sat at the edge of the lunchroom, the D&Ders, the, the Monty Pythoners, like, I was, I'd made my bones with them. And... But it was in there, in that circle, that I felt, I felt going into 11th grade, like, is this, is this me? Am I going to hide out here in this? Am I going to hide out in the corner of the lunchroom? Right, right. Are you staying overnight, or is this going to be like where you live now? Right. Am, am I, is this me now? Am I throwing dice the rest of my life? I remember, I remember that feeling. Yeah, because this isn't me. Like, I'm over here because I feel safe here. Uh, and accepted here, but I, I'm I'm not I'm not going to double. I mean, I remember sitting with a friend, and he was taking metalworking classes, and he was very very excited about being able to use the forge, because and then he opened his notebook, and here were very very detailed drawings of the broadsword that he was going to forge. Wow! And I was. <laughs> both intrigued by like whoa you're gonna forge a broadsword that's pretty badass like tell me more but also a recognition that of that forging a broadsword does not bode well yeah Yeah. um it, it just in that a broadsword is not a useful implement now we don't use them a lot and to to want one in that way but not as a, like, I, I'm going to buy one and put it on the wall, but, like, I am going to forge one in the furnace of Mordor. Yeah. It was, I, I mean, believe me, I lived in that fantasy place a lot, walking home from school, imagining that I was being gifted magic power. You're conjuring an orb. I was conjuring orbs right and left, but I also saw that uh, contemporaneous with us, there were people who were preparing for a life in the world or even i mean yes but also just even like trying to buy beer like their overnight stay was years ahead of ours Mm -hmm. whatever whatever dumb shit they were doing with vandalism or like you know you know what i mean but there were like these levels 
of, of like the dumb way stations, the truck scales you have to go through to get to the next thing. And like, even though you might recognize that as like, this is dumb kid behavior, you were still doing like really younger dumb kid behavior or, or, or dorkier. Well, I mean, yeah, I was playing with GI Joes in the bathtub while people, not maybe my own age, but my own grade certainly were actually like having sex with each other, not just making out and going to second base, but like coitus. They had, they were all the way Mm-mm. moving on. Mm. And I was like, oh, the engine's on fire. Talk about, talk about being in the shit. I was fucking deep in the shit. And so it was, it was that conscious decision to go out of where I felt comfortable and safe in a place where, you know, I was able to live, I was able to be comfortably in fantasy. And move into this terrible, terrible world where people were going to, where people all, like a big part of of how that world discriminates is by starting with the premise that they don't want you. Like you're somebody like me who was not like a, a, a hero yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there's 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 better and more. Uh, interesting people than you who aren't welcome. That's that's right. the thing here. It isn't it isn't a zero or a one. I mean, right. there are there are a lot of people that were a lot cooler than you that were still not going to make it. Still not going to make it. And I mean, you're so, re- you're really screwed. So how did I achieve? How did how did how did I achieve enough velocity, not only to penetrate, but of course I was not. Once I was headed that way, I wasn't going to be content until I was in the center. Because you're you're going to be the BMOC. It's right there on the right. blotter. That's right. Uh, BMOC is not. Like big assistant man on campus. Mm-mm. It's not big sidekick on campus. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to be somebody else's sidekick. You weren't going to be uh, the second banana. I wasn't going to be second banana. You're going to be You're going to be the first banana. That's right. I'm going to write and direct this episode, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's going to be about me saving a little Korean boy named Top Hat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Frank but, Burns is trying to read him the Bible. And the thing is, that's. <clears throat> That's kind of true now too, you know. Like I'm, I'm adjacent to this world of Hollywood comedy actors, mm-hmm. <laughs> and in the same way that you, for a long time, have been adjacent to Silicon Valley, <laughs> and you know, I look at that world all the time. I'm down in Hollywood a lot now, and I'm sitting around at, in a cafe, and I'm looking around the room, and I'm like. Why do I hate everyone in this cafe? Yeah. Oh, they're all working on their screenplay. Like everyone in here is either meeting with someone that they hope will option their screenplay or, you know, they're all working. They're all like just striving yeah. to do a thing that they, you can almost just look around and say like, oh, clearly this isn't going to pan out for you. But there's a version of where I am now that feels like I'm, I've been safe in my in this place that I built for myself. But am I prepared to go down to California and you know and cold call Joel McHale and yeah. say, "Hey, Joel, you know and and you're just you're, you're embarrassed at the prospect of it." Like, "Hey, Joel, I'm in town. I don't really have any good ideas, but I was hoping that I could like ride on your coattails. Call me back." There's so, so many of those calls and emails I don't make where the thought goes through my head 
And I'm just like, wait, stop. Mm-hmm. This turns out great. How? Yeah, right. <laughs> We're like, you know, I mean, I'm acquainted with Chris Hardwick. I'm I'm not super good friends with Chris, but mm-hmm. like, and this is from a time when, you know, Maybe I was more famous, he was less famous, but like we were acquainted yeah. and we would talk about things and you know, and yeah. play at the idea of doing things. Let's and, do some things sometimes, yeah. And like the thing is, time passed, and like he's gotten like you know, real big and real successful with stuff. And like, there's still sometimes like we'll have an exchange somewhere, and people say, You should get on, have Chris, you should have Merlin on your show. And I just want to hide under a rock because yeah. I'm just like, No. Please don't make it so he even has to like consider that. It makes yeah. me it makes my insides so uncomfortable when that happens. Just not it's not shame. It's just more like I don't like I don't like even inconveniencing people with ideas because I know ideas weigh something. Yeah, right, right. I, 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 that, this happened the other day. I was down in L.A. There was a sold out <laughs> show. At, how's it going? I just <laughs> hey, happened Joel. to be happened to be in Hollywood. What's up, Jolie Joel? What's up with that girl I met? She uh, seems to be doing a lot of movies. What's her name? <laughs> yeah. I, I was I was down in L.A. and and Patton Oswalt was playing at Largo, and I said, "Oh, I'd like to go to that show." And it was sold out, and I said, "Well, oh, no, sold, no, 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 sold out doesn't matter to to me, to Daddy. <laughs> You're John Roderick. Yeah, I know, I know everybody at Largo. <clears throat> they, uh, you know, they Largo, the Largo account faves my Instagram posts. Like, <laughs> I'm, oh uh, God, I've never been more tempted to cut something out. I'm really up here. I'm oh, up on the top wow, of this. Wow, the, the Instagram account for Largo, huh? Yeah, the Instagram account for Largo faves my shit all the time, so this shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. And I'm, gear- and I'm <laughs> you go gearing holding up. Your phone. <laughs> I'm, I'm you guys like it. me. I'm sta- standing at the front door, like, I know the show, the show is sold out, but check it out. Yeah. You guys have liked the, my last seven posts. Yes, let me tell. Just let me but the thing is, I know everybody that works there, right? I mean, and I'm, I don't live in LA, but I'm there. I've, I've played a lot of shows there. There's not a lot of turnover in the people that run the place. Yeah. And so, and I know we're all friends. And so I'm gearing up. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like, <sighs> Here we go. Here, you know, I'm just sitting. I'm sitting and I'm thinking. So just to be clear, you have not done any prep work here. Your plan is to show up and right. just kind of waltz in. That's right. Okay. And not just show up and waltz in, but show up with people and oh waltz in. Oh, my God. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm, doing, I'm running a Merlin man on it. I'm like, what are the potential outcomes here? Let's just run through this. Like, I'm not somebody that... If I show up at a place with a bunch of people and I get turned away, I'm not especially embarrassed by that because because it always is like, well, gave it a try. Right. Let, let's go across the street and eat blintzes or whatever. You know, like I'm. I, you can't. You're not going to like pour a bucket over my head. But as I sat there, I thought this exact thing you're describing. Why give my good friends at Largo any memory? Of ever having turned me down for a thing. Like right oh, now, right. no one there has ever turned me down. Why why risk even establishing the notion in anyone's mind that I'm in a category of people that get turned down for things? Uh, you know what? That's somewhere in my mind. I never mm-hmm. really quite put my finger on it, but you're right. That's I don't I don't want this enough to live with what the no means. Yeah. To to take to put 
to do, on your own put a black mark next to your name and it's not a black i mean so what that would mean but it's is, a black mark that's a, that's a com- accompanied by the noise oh yeah right what what that would mean is now i'm on a list of somebody that gets in to some shows sometimes yeah. if it's not that big of a deal and right now because i decided not to go right and i told the people i was i was planning on taking let's do something else yeah let's get and let's get blintzes what that means is that I'm not a person that gets turned down for a Patton Oswald show that's been sold out for a month. Right? I'm right. can't prove I'm, negative. That's right. I'm not on that list. <laughs> I very well might be somebody that could have gotten into that show. Sure. No reason Which, to think it would be any, any different. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a big so way. It only falls apart if you test your theory. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big way of running your Hollywood game a so little bit. So smart. But, but, but I do feel sometimes like, am I not, am I not pushing myself hard enough? Like, shouldn't I be, oh, just the word audition makes me want to sit in the bathtub with a bowl of macaroni and cheese. I have some counseling on this and I have some thoughts on this. Let me hear it. Well, first of all, my, another admission uh, along this is that, and this, this sounds like some kind of weird, like, I don't know, we're sounding a little bit Robert Evans at this point, but, um, who has an, <laughs> I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but it is really a lot of fun. I do follow him. Boy, he's, he, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's great. Um, he's, he's 105 now. Yeah, yeah, he quotes himself with a pound sign a lot. <laughs> yeah, still Lots living, of spaces. In the, living in the house Jack Nicholson bought. Uh, living oh. in his house that Jack Nicholson bought for him. Oh, uh, you bet your ass he is. <laughs> um, it, like, I, there's some times where, like, you know, first of all, I'm from Ohio and I don't really talk to people. And I, I'm not really good at keeping up with people. And so, like, anytime I'm, like, keep going to, like, catch up with somebody, I always find myself, like, doubting or questioning like why I'm doing it, which is so terrible. Like, why don't I just keep up with everybody? But then I think like, oh God, people are busy and they're going to think I want something. And like, <clears throat> there's this, I mean, I'm, not just, I'm talking about like all my friends. This is why I don't talk to any of you. It, it's like, I just, it goes through my mind. It's like, oh, like if this goes well, like what's going to happen? Like we're going to have plan something that I don't, don't have time or resources to do. And like, ugh, and I just go through that. But you know, all I'll say is this, is that, like, if that's something you actually want to do, not not to use the A word here, but if you'd like to be in more things, the only thing yeah. I could think of that does help is to first set your mind to the fact that you're going to do that and then make it easy on other people. I think it's really different from showing up at the door and saying, like, you know, hey, I'm a friend of Patton or whatever. Right. You know, that's that's needy. But like, if you have a thing where you can actually, this sounds like stupid networking, I don't mean it that way, but like, if you have a way where you actually could be useful for something for somebody else like that's that's not a bad thing you're not asking for anything but you know luck favors the well prepared like if you're Mm -hmm. ready like you got to be ready to like say talk to a producer who that person has to convince you should be in it do you know what i'm saying yeah well and and that's that's that that, now we're talking more about a commitment and you realize how much of this you really want when you start thinking about what's involved yeah my problem is that i always feel like i have i always feel that i offer utility to every situation sure Right, like, like uh, the MOC. I, yeah, I'm not showing up there with a with a bouquet of flowers and a bottle of champagne. Uh, the bouquet of flowers and the bottle of champagne is me. Hmm. <laughs> Here's the other problem: uh, is that uh, I'm trying to teach my daughter this with the cat. <laughs> 
Because <clears throat> the cat has, uh, in the 11 months we've had her, she's really warmed up to the family. She's still a hideous monster. But yeah. she's become, in her way, for a 10-year-old cat, she's become kind of affectionate. Just in the sense that like, she likes to be petted at certain times in certain ways. How much hair does she have? Right now she's shaved. Uh-huh. I'll send you a picture. She's a monstrosity. Okay. Okay. But here's, here's something I'm trying to teach my, my wonderful daughter, which is that with the cat, uh, with the cat, it's all about building up way more trust than you think is reasonable. Or certainly way more trust than is fun. So, like, a lot of times when you feel like petting the cat, don't pet the cat. Oh, that's right. Leave the cat. Leave the cat alone. And if the cat really wants it, the cat will come to you. Now, if the cat does come to you, I'm just going to tell you, like, Mom and I know this. Like, here's a couple places and ways that the cat likes to be scratched. You can scratch the back of the cat's neck right here forever, and she'll be very happy. If she likes that, you can pet a little bit under her chin, and that Mm -hmm. makes her really happy. Mm -hmm. Here's what you don't do. Don't walk up to the cat, pick up the cat, turn her around, do a dance, put her on your lap, and then start like scratching her like on her underside. Mm -mm. Because that doesn't build trust, that builds suspicion. Like Mm -hmm. Mom and I got to the point where we can scratch the cat on the neck, because we figured out that's what she likes, and we we don't mess it up too much. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm not sure exactly what the message is for you uh, getting into Dan Harmon's TV shows, but, mm-hmm. like, you know what I'm saying here? It's oh, like, yeah. That, to me, is, like, just keep your personal credit good yeah. in that way. Like, don't fuck it up with something stupid, because every time you try to sc- scratch the cat's butt because it's cute, like, that makes the cat trust you less. And and the cat didn't really get stra- scratched. You didn't get to scratch the cat. And all that's really changed is your relationship. I I feel like I've all, the ship has already sailed in being in Dan Harmon's productions. Have you ever had any follow-up with him? <laughs> no. No, and, uh, you know, I don't think that he feels like it's his job to reach also, out to me. it doesn't help that our wonderful fans have missed very few opportunities to make this into an unnecessarily oppositional thing with Dan Harmon. Yeah, they really have. That has not helped. They I'm really sure. have. Hey, Dan! Hey, check it out. You should see this. Dan Harmon stole an idea for... No, he didn't. What? He... Yeah, check it out, man. I just bet you're still mad at Dan Harmon. Like, no. No, no one cares. Stop saying that. Stop, Stop, Stop scratching the cat's butt. Stop it. Uh, you know, like, how to scratch the cat. I think that should go up on the big board. Okay, I'll put it up here. No fighting. What was your other one? The uh, What was the other one you had on the big board? Uh, somebody will tweet it at us. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, all those things, right? It's, uh, ultimately, it's the big question, do I? I yes, I do. Yes, I do. But... <laughs> I'm sorry. I think I passed out for a minute. <laughs> Ultimately, I? the big question is, do I? do I? And the answer is, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. But do I? I miss the context for that, do, but I like it. Do I? Do I? Do I? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Do I? Do I? Yes, I do. You bet your ass I do. <laughs> You could be certain of one thing today, and that's I'm the one that's gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Yes, I do. It's your impression of, of Tom, Tom Waits doing Louis Randy Newman. Oh, I heard so much Randy Newman in oh, it. Oh, okay. Well, I got a question for myself. Is this a thing I'm gonna do? If I don't answer the question, it's gonna make me blue. Do I do? I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> do, do, do. <laughs> yeah, the question is, do it's I? Like... And the answer is, yes, I do. Yes, I do. That's it. That's the whole game. <laughs> you could very well stop right there. That's pretty fucking good.